I'd like to pray as we approach the Word of God. Just briefly pray with me, please. Dear God, as we uh, contemplate what you have for us in John chapter 1, grant us a greater hunger for Jesus and grant us a greater hunger for people to hear about Jesus. In his name I pray, amen. Albert McMakin, ever hear of him? He was a 24-year-old farmer who had recently come to faith in Christ, full of enthusiasm, and his, uh, his delight was to fill up his truck with young people in and around the farm and take them to meetings to hear about Jesus Christ. There was one farmer's son in particular that he really wanted to attend the meetings, but this young man was too distracted by girls. Didn't want to come for quite some time, and finally he figured out, well, for a 16-year-old, maybe if I let him drive my truck. And so that was the deal. Hey, you can drive my truck to the meeting and whoever we can fit into the truck, and so they went. This young man, the farmer's son, was... was uh, convinced to actually go into the meeting, and he went, and he was spellbound. This was one of those good old-fashioned tent revival meetings. And Billy Graham attended these several nights in a row, and on, I think it was his third night, he went forward and accepted Jesus Christ, and you know the rest of the story. Well, we can't all be like Billy Graham and preach before thousands, but we can be like Albert McMakin and, and uh, introduce people, not necessarily convert, but at least introduce them to the person of Jesus Christ one person at a time. I think this experience so impressed a mark on the heart of Billy Graham that when he became large in the Crusades, he devised a, a challenge called Operation Andrew. We looked at the fact last week that Andrew was someone who heard about Jesus and and told his brother. And that was, that was the challenge, was they, they noticed as soon as Andrew heard, we, we have the Messiah, as soon as he discovered Jesus Christ, he went and told his brother Peter. So the challenge of Operation Andrew was one person at a time, bring someone to Jesus. The experience of, of being involved in the Billy Graham Crusades impacted me. I, I was already Christian, but I'd never heard of Operation Andrew until it was presented like that, and I, I got hooked on individual and personal evangelism. If I could just introduce someone to Jesus, and then I'll let Jesus take it from there. Just want you to know, there is a person called Jesus Christ, died for sins on the cross, risen again. Well, what we have in the last part of chapter 1 is John's introduction to us of the disciples of Jesus Christ. We, we looked at the very beginning of John chapter 1, and we noticed he introduced Jesus to us, and then he introduced John the Baptist to us, and finally, this is our third week in the Gospel of John, we are looking at his introduction. This is the information that John the Apostle wants us to know about the disciples of Jesus Christ before they got going really into the, the big... Um, events of what we know to be 
recorded in the Gospels. Meeting Jesus, I want you to know this as we, as just uh, from the very front as we get into this, meeting Jesus is the starting point of Christianity. It is not the end point. Meeting Jesus is the beginning of a lifelong, deep, real, and changing relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the very beginning of your Christian experience. It is not the end point of your Christian experience. So there's two th things that I see in this last portion of John chapter 1 that I, I, I think are normal. And I'll give this to you right up front. The normal experience for disciples is to grow spiritually. Jesus did not find ready-made apostles, nor did he find people who were, actually they were probably teenagers, late teens, 18, 19. He did not find people who were immediately called to do those incredible events that we read about in the Gospels. There was a process of spiritual growth that Jesus took them through. Not all of that is recorded in John chapter 1, but the introductory part is recorded in John chapter 1. That's the part I want to take you through. What was this process of spiritual growth that Jesus introduced into the lives of his disciples who became apostles, who then changed the world after he left? We see the very beginnings in John chapter 1. In fact, it was read for you just a few months ago. A second thing I want you to see is this. The normal experience for disciples of Jesus Christ is to tell other people about Jesus. These men who told other people, who told other people, they're, they're not heralded as unique or uh, one-off or abnormal or a cut above. They're regular, ordinary men. Probably we would consider them to be young men or teenagers. And again, Jesus worked with them. He received them as they were. He did not let them stay as they were. He changed them. And we're going to find out how that happened this morning. John spends a lot of time letting us know that these are ordinary young men. And they spent time with Jesus, who transformed them into the extraordinary men that we can read about. My aim this morning is to persuade you. I'm not looking to inform you. I don't want to impress you. I want to persuade you to pursue a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. You could be here for the first time and, and, and you're wondering, well, what, what is this stuff that Christianity is about and who is this person, Jesus, anyway? Or you could precede me. I've been here 18 and a half years. You could, have, you could be a lifelong church goer. I'm still wanting to persuade you to choose and to pursue a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ than you presently have. I know it's there for you. I hope we all in this room, I hope we all have a healthy dissatisfaction with our own spiritual maturity. That doesn't mean beating ourselves up. It doesn't mean berating ourselves, criticizing ourselves, thinking ill of ourselves. Healthy dissatisfaction. Never content, always pushing forward. A healthy dissatisfaction with our own spiritual maturity. 
So as I look at the Gospel of John, and I've read through it a number of times, my takeaway quite simply is this. The Gospel is about life transformation in Jesus. And we're going to see this again and again as we travel through the Gospel of John, but just giving you a heads up as to where the entire Gospel is going. Life transformation through Jesus, and we'll see some of that uh, this morning. Now, in verse 37, we have it that two disciples heard John the Baptist refer to Jesus as the Lamb of God, and Jesus asked them this question, what do you want? You might have a, a, a translation that says, what do you seek? Jesus, then, is not content with a general knowledge of him. He wants more, and he's pushing for more. He is eliciting more. The goal of this exchange is to move these uh, disciples of John the Baptist into a deeper relationship where life transformation can occur. I am concerned about Christians who are content with their spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ. Somehow content with what God has given to them. Content with what they know of the Bible. Content with how they pray and how often they pray. Content with the status of their marriage and whether or not Jesus Christ makes it into their marriage. I am con concerned about too much contentment in the body of Christ today. Well, the answer that Jesus gives to these people when he says, what do you want? And they, they refer to him as teacher, where are you staying? And he says, come and you will see. Come and you will see is much more than if you follow me around for an hour or so, you will find out information that you didn't know beforehand. Much more than that. It has a much deeper meaning than come and see for yourself where I am staying. Now, here's something I'm going to give to you, and I don't know if this is necessarily John's style of writing in his, apostle, in his, in his gospel, or if this is Jesus' style of teaching, and John records it, or maybe it's a lot of both, but here we go. Sometimes... Jesus says things, and John records things, and it's, it, it, it means one thing on a surface level, but it means a whole lot deeper, and we have the surface level, and we have the depth written down for us in the Gospel of John. For instance, in John chapter 3, Nicodemus is thinking of spiritual birth, but Jesus, excuse me, Nicodemus is thinking of physical birth, but Jesus applies that concept of birth to spiritual birth. In John chapter 4, the woman at the well is thinking of literal water, and Jesus refers to spiritual water. In John chapter 6, the people are hungry for bread because they're just plain hungry. Their stomachs are empty. And Jesus talks about himself as the bread of life. In John chapter 9, a man is born blind, and that means he's physically without sight. And Jesus talks to people who are spiritually blind. So very often there's this overcurrent of something on the surface and yet there's something that's very meaningful for us down below the surface i don't want us to miss this knowing this pattern should help us to understand that when jesus says to his disciples come and see he means more than find out where i am staying tonight there is more on the heart of jesus than accomplishing letting them know where he is spending the night and sharing a meal John chapter 1, verse 39, let's read this. Come, he, will, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying it was a, and spent that day with him is about the 10th hour, or we heard 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon 
Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. Now, how did Andrew get to that? He heard John the Baptist say, look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Later on, he may have heard, no, we only have it in verse 35. The Son of God reference occurs in verse 34. So what, what John heard, excuse me, what Andrew heard was John the Baptist say, look, there is the Lamb of God. When Andrew talks to Peter, he does not say, John the Baptist pointed out the Messiah. Let's go check it out. He does not say, I think we might have found the Messiah. Let's go see. Andrew says, we have found the Messiah. We have found him, the one we are looking for, the one our nation has been waiting for. We have found him. He's definite. He's clear. He's precise. So what happened with Andrew? Time spent with Jesus changed his life. We read over this. Verse 39, they went to where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It's about the 10th hour, 4 in the afternoon. That means they spent several hours in the afternoon, shared the evening meal, shared more time beyond that, either left and went home after a long exposure to Jesus, or perhaps even spent the night there. But what I'm suggesting to you is that Andrew does not say that Jesus claimed to be Messiah. He says Jesus is the Messiah. And what changed him from simply hearing about Jesus and Lamb of God, claimed of Messiah, to this personal awareness that this is the man. This is the one we're waiting for. What changed Andrew was time spent with Jesus. Now, I'm going to talk you through some things in the Gospels, and this is going to be um, some Bible study time. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned that we read well. We read often, but we don't, we don't read with enough depth, and so we miss things. So it's going to feel to you like I'm changing the subject. I'm not. I want to go to the Gospel of Mark, and the reason is we can read this episode in in the Gospels where Jesus encounters someone and he says, follow me. And it looks to us like that's the first time these people ever met Jesus. And that's the first time Jesus ever saw them. And so Jesus has this very good selecting device where he says, you over there, that one. Um, how about you over here in the middle? And we'll take you throwing out the nets over here. You guys come and follow me. And, and, and we surmise that Jesus had such an ambiance about him, a halo, and white glowing robes. And these people, wow, never seen that guy before. Let's drop everything. We'll follow him. But that's not the way it went. So let's turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. And we'll, uh, we'll just tra trace through a sequence of events. Mark, chapter 1. There are some things that are impressive here, but we'll, we'll trace it out. Uh, start with verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. 
And we heard about a baptism last week in the Gospel of John. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open. Literally, it's the word schizo, is in divide. There's two parts now. Torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And you, and a voice came from heaven saying, You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Okay, so there we have the baptism of Jesus Christ. And we know we read about that in the Gospel of John. So let's just, let's keep reading and see if John has any new, or excuse me, if Mark has any new information for us. Uh, let's look at verse 14. After John the Baptist was put into prison, okay, I hadn't heard that before as we read through John, John's Gospel. After John the Baptist was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Now we have something that we can, uh, in a moment we're going to get back to the Gospel of John and, and we're going to look at what, what's this thing about being in prison with John the Baptist. That's like a time stamp. So some things happened before, some things happened after it. We're going to do some, some com comparison. But here's the way we often read it, verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Now, if all you're reading is, is, is Mark's gospel, it can sound like, it can read like, that's the first time they ever met. Wow, that's impressive. He just says, follow me. They drop everything and they go. Read on. Verse 19. When he'd gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, Jesus called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat and the hired men, and they followed him. There it is again. It just must be all about Jesus and these special superhero type of apostles who are so great, they recognize Jesus right away, they drop everything and they go or not. Let's, let's put that first slide up here on the screen. This is how Mark's gospel lays out the sequence. So you, we, we met John the Baptist, and then Jesus is baptized. John the Baptist is put into prison, and then Jesus offers this challenge, follow me. Okay, let's go back to the gospel of John, and now we, can, we are ready to do some comparison. Now we know there's a frame of reference here. There's a timestamp specifically called John the Baptist is put into prison. Okay, so let's, let's so far as we've read in, in John chapter 1, we have not read anything about John the Baptist being in prison. Keep reading. Fast forward. John chapter 3 has this great conversation with Nicodemus. After that, let's look at verse 22. John chapter 3 Verse 22. Remember, we're looking for that time stamp. John the Baptist is put into prison. Let's look for that. Verse 22. After this, meaning after that great conversation with Nicodemus, after this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now, John, meaning John the Baptist, also was baptizing at Ainion near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptized. Verse 24 is very helpful. It appears in parentheses 
extremely helpful. Look at this. This was before John was put in prison. That's a timestamp. So all this stuff that we read about, John chapter 1, John chapter 2, half of John chapter 3, Mark doesn't even record that. So when Mark records, follow me, all this stuff that we're reading about in John chapter 1 and 2, that's already happened. Let's, uh, let's put that other slide up. We're going to compare the timestamp here. So here's, here's the way it lays out in John's gospel. We meet John the Baptist, and then we know that Jesus is baptized. And John, in the gospel of John, we don't have that recorded, but, but John the Baptist tells us he did it. And then the next thing is come and see, and then we have John the Baptist put into prison. We don't even have follow me yet. John has some material that Matthew, Mark, and Luke do not have, and it helps us to understand this process of spiritual growth that Jesus took his, his men on. Let's go to the next slide, and we're going we're gonna to merge these two timelines together. So according to Mark and John, we meet John the Baptist, Jesus is baptized, and then there's, there's this early call that Jesus extends to his followers come and see that's not given to everybody and the demands of this are really light it's just come and show up and spend time with me this is not drop your nets it's not leave your vocation it's not i will make you fishers of men it's not get ready for the great commission not yet this one is pretty light it's just meet me spend time with me hang out with me and then we have john the baptist in prison and finally, we have that call where this is about, uh, follow me, is about one year, some think a, about a year and a half into the public ministry of Jesus Christ. Before that call uh, that is made, follow me. Before they are ready to leave their nets, before they are ready to leave their homes, before they are ready to leave vocationally and trust Jesus with everything, there has been a process of spiritual growth to get them ready. Now, what's the key to that process? I've said it a couple times already, and we just read over it in John chapter 3. Let's read it again. Notice in verse 22, John chapter 3, verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized spending time with Jesus equals life transformation time with Jesus they will never be the same because of time that they spent with Jesus the disciples are not ready to be the apostles until there is time adequate time spent with Jesus the apostles are not ready for the Great Commission until there is adequate time spent with Jesus. Come and see is the first step where the demands are very low. Follow me is the commitment and the demands are very high. But they are not ready for that until they have spent time with Jesus. Okay, let's go to the blank slide. Often when I meet people who are struggling relationally, Again, this might feel like I'm changing the subject initially, and I'm not. When I meet people who are struggling relationally, I, I will ask them how they're doing with the Lord. And I know that this doesn't, have, this doesn't sound helpful if you have a marriage that's falling apart. 
but I want to know if a person is distant from God. And so I'll ask, uh, tell me about your connection with the Word of God. Because a person who is distant from the Word of God is distant from God. And a person who is distant from God is not experiencing the life transformation that Jesus offers. And so that will not be showing up in the marriage relationship because there's a distance from God. And if two people are distant from God, there's no life transformation showing up in their hearts individually. They're not bringing that into the marriage relationship. Hard to imagine a marriage thriving under those conditions. The closest thing that we have to come and see today, you know, we can't, we can't take someone to go to Galilee and meet the Savior. Can't do that. But I will suggest that the closest thing that we have to come and see is to help someone read the Bible. People meet Jesus in the Bible. And you can go beyond that and talk about prayer and meeting people in the body of Christ and bring them to church. Meeting, meeting one and one. How about if, can I give you a Bible? <laughs> How about that? Or, or read the Bible with someone. Or get together with someone and the purpose is to discuss what it is that you've read in the Bible that week. Some of you are good with electronics. I love my paper Bible. Love this paper Bible. Love to turn pages in here. I love to flip around faster than you can in your electronics. But if you are given to electronics, how about showing someone how to download a Bible and use an app that you like and that you have found to be very helpful? There might be people around you who gravitate toward that, and they'd rather have a pocket Bible known as a phone than they would a paper Bible. We'll show them an app. You know about apps. Show them an app. Give that to them. I think the closest thing that we have in our generation today to come and see is inviting people to discover Jesus in the Bible. Right now, this church spends $200 every single month for Bible distribution in four countries, China, Laos, Vietnam, and Bangladesh. We want people to have the Bible in a language that they can understand. A uh, couple of months ago, we gave the jail ministry 100 brand new Bibles, full Bibles, not, in a, not a New Testament, full Bibles, paperback, because that's what the jail requires. Here you go. Here's 100. Give them out, and we'll resupply. Gladly, we will resupply. We have Bibles at the Welcome Center that you can ask anybody at the Welcome Center. Can I have a Bible? The pastor talked about a Bible. We will be glad to give you a Bible. This is something that you can do. You can introduce people to Jesus through the Word of God. And I want to make sure we don't miss this. Time with Jesus is the process of spiritual growth. Okay, so let's remind ourselves how John starts his gospel. The focus uh, initially, right out of the gate, is on who Jesus is and what Jesus will become. Because Jesus is the Lamb of God and is the Son of God, he can become the Messiah and the Savior. And this changes everything for us. You see, salvation is then in Christ. 
Forgiveness is in Christ. Identity is in Christ. Community in Christ. Ethics, morality, gender, marriage, life transformation. All of that is in Christ because of who Jesus is and what we know that Jesus was able to accomplish. Andrew was the first one to be identified as a disciple of Jesus Christ. By the time we close John chapter 4, we have four, excuse me, spoke wrong. By the time we close John chapter 1, we have four disciples by name. Andrew, Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel. There may have been another one because we're told initially there's two of John the Baptist's disciple disciples when he heard, uh, they, they heard him say, Lamb of God. We're only told about Andrew. So we have four by name. Andrew, Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel. Of those four, Jesus only found one on his own. Philip. The other three were told by John the Baptist or by Andrew or by Philip himself. Jesus found one on his own. I know that's a small sample size, but it's not like Jesus led with, hey, I'll get my own guys. Don't worry about it. You don't have to tell anybody. I'm going to wow them with miracles. I'm going to get some crowds. I got it covered. Right from the get-go, we have people telling people about Jesus. And this appears to be a pattern that is established in the Gospel of John. These men, again, are normal, regular people. They're not superheroes. They're not apostles yet. They're students. That's what the word disciple means, a learner, a student of someone else. And they are very young. Sometimes when we read the Gospels, we're, we're just so um, almost like awestruck of the miracles and the great things that Jesus did that we, we, we kind of come away thinking, well, it's, it's very often, it's most of the time, it's almost all the time that Jesus went to the crowds and he preached and he taught and he did miracles and there's just crowds and crowds and all these crowds and it's just like momentum, self-perpetuating momentum. Well, actually, if you add up all four Gospels now, not just at the Gospel of John, but looking at all four Gospels, Jesus is with the crowd 17 times. And Jesus is with his disciples 46 times. Not all about the crowds, but about investing in people, very often one person at a time. Spiritual growth is equal to time spent with Jesus. In the early pages of the Gospel of John, 1, 2, 3, there are no crowds. But we do see individuals, ordinary, regular people. And this is what the Apostle John leads with. Individuals who encountered Jesus Christ and their lives were never the same. 
So three summary statements, and it, I don't think I have these written down for you on your outline. People who followed Jesus were never the same. We're grateful to John to show us the very early stages of that process of getting around Jesus and just simply spending time with him. People who followed Jesus were never the same. Here's a second one. The process of spiritual growth involves spending time with Jesus. In other words, Jesus never sent somebody away from him and they came back more mature spiritually, knowing more things about him, more ready to sacrifice and surrender their lives to his lordship. We don't see that. But we do see Jesus spending time with people and even requesting their time. Third one, and hopefully you've gathered this by now, Jesus did not do all of the work of finding people. His followers told people about Jesus, and it looks like they did so naturally, that they were comfortable with this. It wasn't a force fit. It doesn't look like it's something they resented doing. They were glad to tell people about Jesus. So let me give you two indicators in your life. If you want to check on yourself or, um, or someone else, and, and I, I, I don't have seven practical ways to a better life. Five spiritual suggestions to grow more like Christ. I, I don't, I got nothing. I'm just trying to push a little bit. Here are some things that you can look at to see if time spent with Jesus is adequate in your life to be producing life change. Here you go. Is there a hunger for more of Jesus? We get the impression from the, the disciples and then as they became apostles early on, man, they couldn't get enough of Jesus. Is there, is there a hunger for Jesus? Do you ever get up in the morning and look forward to reading the Bible? In other words, you just can't wait to get your morning duties out of the way so you can sit down and have some quiet moments. Or maybe for you, it's, it's after everyone's in bed. Finally, I get to have some quiet time with the Lord. Does it, do, you, do you notice a, a hunger for Jesus? Ever get up on a Sunday morning and you just can't wait to hear the proclamation of the Word of God or worship with God's people, worship the Lord? Or is this something that you kind of do because it's Sunday? Is there a growing hunger for Jesus? And here's a second one. This will be harder. Is there a growing hunger in your life to tell people about Jesus? I know that's harder because it involves personality, and I'll, I'll talk about personality at another point in time, but is there a growing hunger in your life to tell people about Jesus because you, knew, you know it is so good? It is just so good. When somebody gets to know Jesus and they surrender to him and they experience life change. Those were the two things I prayed for before we opened the word of God this morning that God would build in us a greater hunger for Jesus and a greater hunger to see people come to know Jesus Christ. This seems to be where John is taking us as he writes his gospel with the attempt to persuade us to believe and to trust in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, your, your beauty is infinite. Your gospel is matchless. And your grace truly is amazing. 
God, we thank you for the gift of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And thank you for recording details in the Word of God so that we might come away with a clearer understanding of how what looks like extraordinary people were actually quite ordinary. And they discovered something that we can discover for ourselves. Time spent with your son changes our lives. We want that. In some fashion or another, we want to be spending time with Jesus. Time in his word, time in prayer, time with his people, time in your church, time talking about you with other people, and sometimes talking about you with the lost, and that can be risky. God, we want all of that. We want more of Jesus, because there is just simply no one like him. In Jesus' name, amen.